Well, we're in our Rooted series in the book of Ephesians, so if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. If you have it, why don't you stand on your feet with me? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. If you got it, why don't you say, got it? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Here now, the reading of God's Word, starting in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, marriage, a beautiful, a sacred, and a holy thing. Can you say that with me? Marriage, a beautiful, a sacred, and a holy thing. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I simply pray as I do each week, God, that you would hide me behind your cross and that you may be lifted in this place. God, decrease me so that you may increase. Father, let your word fall afresh on your people and let us learn to walk more in your ways as you've called us to do. God, we thank you and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, family, in today's society, there is an attack on marriages. Marriage being the first covenant, keyword covenant that God created between male and female and himself. Now marriage though has become something that we want it to be or what we feel like it should be. Well, we jump in and out of it very flippantly. And marriages now are ending in more than 50% divorce. Should I say that it's true here that Satan is attacking marriages? More than 72% of black children will be born to single parent households. More than 50% for Latino. More than 30% for white. There is an epidemic amongst marriages here in our country and living in our individualized society, more and more people are desiring it less. Or at least when they enter their marriage, they're focusing solely on themselves, thinking only of their individual happiness or their wants. 
And when we look at the marriage covenant in the Bible, the biblical marriage of, of, of a covenant between a man and a woman, when we look at it in the Bible, united, they're united, they're one flesh. And hear me, it's not about happiness, it's about holiness. It's about your holiness, because here's the thing. You may think it's about your happiness, but those that are married would know that, hear me, two sinful people trying to come together, that is not easy. It is not that easy. It doesn't work that, that well. It, it's not an easy thing. It's very sanctifying because here's the thing. Your wife or your spouse, your husband is going to know you more intimately than anybody else in your life. Therefore, it's kind of like staring at a mirror every day. And we have to learn how to dwell with one another because we know one another. We have to learn how to love one another and not just love one another, but love each other the way the other one needs to be loved, not the way you want to love them, which takes a whole lot of sacrifice and a whole bunch of forgiving because we're going to let each other down all the time. Marriage is about holiness. So today, as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, he's laying out the union between a male and a female, and what it should look like, but he also lets us know what a high call in the marriage relationship is, and that it is not something to flippantly jump into, but instead is to be cherished and to be honored, because here, marriage is not necessarily about the two that are in the covenant. It's about us glorifying God and lifting his name up. The marriage covenant, as we'll see in the text, is the closest resemblance to Jesus loving the church that we'll get in this lifetime. So in essence, this is why Satan would be on attack with marriages. He doesn't want to see more people come to know Jesus, so he attacks the first covenant that God creates between male and female. Hear me, family. Marriage is a beautiful, a sacred, and a very holy thing, and it is most certainly God's idea. Now, as we jump into this text, these verses where Paul is, he's been discussing as we've been walking through this whole rooted series, being rooted in Christ, he's, he's, he's still saying this, the same text right here, these verses in that same context. The fact that we've been talking about that now that you know all that God, as believers, now that you know all that God has done in and through Jesus Christ on your behalf, you're rooted in that. Now he's saying, go practically live that out. Don't just know and believe that Jesus died on your behalf, but now I need you to go live it out. Walk in, the, in his steps, walk in his ways, imitate his ways. Basically, God has been so good to his people since the beginning of time. And he's made a way for people to come back to him. After we ran off, did our own thing, we were rebellious and sinful, he makes a way through his son Jesus Christ, death on the cross for us to come back to him, be reconciled to him. And the mind-boggling thing about this, I say this week in and week out, is that, 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 that God pre-planned this from the beginning of time. So he knows we're going to be sinful. He knows that we're not going to listen to him, though we're going to do our own thing, but he still yet puts a plan in action for us to be saved through belief in Jesus Christ. That's mind-boggling to me. See, we that believe, we're rooted in the goodness of God. He's been good to us. He's been good to us and because and, we are all destined for destruction. We had no way of saving ourselves. The penalty of our sin and rebellion against God was death. But instead of God wiping us all out, what does he do? He sends his son, God in the flesh, to die the death that we should have died on a cross. And because of his goodness, whether you're a believer or not, you're alive. And Paul is saying in these three chapters, these last three chapters of Ephesians, now that you know that, now that you believe that, go live it out. Go live it out. 
He's instructing Christians how to live this thing out practically, live holy lives as a result of being thankful for what God has done in their lives. It's the simple fact that, and I've said this in the prior weeks, is that is when somebody does something good on your behalf or does something right for you, in return, you want to do right by them. You want to return the favor. That, that, that's what Paul is saying here. He says, saying, now that you know what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, how good he's been, go imitate his ways. Live as Christ did. He, he says, be wise and be filled with the Spirit, which as we talked about last week, that does not mean be filled again with the Spirit. You're filled when you believe in Jesus Christ. We're not talking about being filled again with the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying is walk in the joy and the goodness of the Lord regardless of your circumstances because he has been so good to you. And see, here's the thing. When we're not filled with the Spirit or we're not walking in the goodness of the Lord, the reality is is that there's something else in our life that's going to fill us. Something else is going to fill us. And that's why he says in the text, don't be drunk with wine. We drunk with wine because it leads to debauchery and all types of other madness, but instead be filled with the Spirit, which leads to praising and singing hymns. And regardless of your situation, because you realize you should be dead, but because of God's goodness, you're alive. Then he says, because of this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So hear me, he doesn't say submit because you have to or your husband or your wife told you to. That's not what he says here. But he says it because as Christians, as believers, we want to honor Christ for all that he's done in our lives. So we submit to him as believers. We imitate his ways. We walk in his ways. Now, this verse right here specifically leads into our passage today. Now, as we jump into verse 22 of the text, there's a modern-day curse word here. In verse 21 and 22. Y'all see it? There's a modern day curse word. We don't like this word. We, we, it's really not a bad word, but because of society, we've made it a bad word. Y'all see the word? You see it there? You, y'all want to say it with me? So, so submit, right? Say it, say it again. Submit. It's kind of like Mufasa, make your bones. Mufasa, submit, 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 submit. We don't like that word. We don't like submit. See, we don't like submission because it's become synonymous with doormat. Or in other words, being dominated or taken advantage of or, or, or seen as less than where we have removed any understanding of strength from the word submission. And here's the thing. There is strength in submission. This is not a bad thing. Paul is writing this and he's not saying that one is to be less than the other. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that one is weaker than the other. As a matter of fact, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father when he died on the cross for our sins. There's nothing weak about submission. He submits and he follows the Father. And here's the thing, because if he didn't do that, we wouldn't even be able to complain about submission because we would be dead. So the reality is that there is strength in submission. Hear me, there's power and strength in submission. And on top of all of that, it resembles Christ. Now, in this passage, well, practically, when it says wives submit to your husbands, this word submit is actually a participle, which points to the verb in verse 15, where it says walk. 
because verses 15 through 21 is just really one long run-on in the Greek. You don't see that here in your text, but in the Greek, it's one long run-on. So this word submit is pointing back to verse 15 where it says walk. So what this means is that when Paul says submit, he's actually telling wives or pointing to wives how they should walk honoring and now imitating Christ by submitting, in in which Christ exemplifies the ultimate act of submission when he dies the death we should have died on the cross. Now, I know you're still sitting there saying, all right, cool, Pastor D, that that still doesn't get it for me. I still got an issue with this whole submission thing. I still don't like it. Why, why, Why didn't God say men submit to your wives? Why didn't he flip it around? One, I need you to remember, this is not a greater than or less than issue here. This is not a better than issue. This is not you're weaker than. That's not what he's talking about right here. And number two, this has to do with the order of creation and how God made us. So when Paul says, submit to one another in verse 21 out of reverence for Christ, this acts as a thesis statement for the rest of the book of Ephesians. So you keep walking through it, and you see this as we walk through it, God created man first, so Women and their wives submit to the husbands. Then you got kids submitting to parents. Then you get slave to master. We're going to walk through all of that because you may have problems with a lot of those. We're going to walk through all of that and what it means in the weeks to come. But hear me, submission has to do with the believer honoring Christ as we live and it deals with the order of creation. But you still may be sitting there saying, well, that still doesn't get it for me. I don't get it. Why didn't God create females first? Why didn't he make females first? And I'm going to sit here and I tell you, I'm a, it's, real, it's real spiritual. I need you to hear me when I say this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And the truth is, besides all that, it really doesn't even matter. It would not even be a question if we actually lived out what this passage says. Now hear me, the submission of wives is not like the obedience children owe parents. Don't get it mixed up. That's not what he's talking about here. Nor does this text command all women to submit to all men, but instead to your own husbands. Emphasis on own husbands, not to all husbands. Now hear me, both genders are equally created in God's image, which we see in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 28. So again, this is not a weaker or less than thing. You're you're equal in God's eyes. And we are both heirs together for eternal life, and eternal life as we see in Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28. 29. So hear me, don't get this authority or headship thing all mixed up. Don't get lost in this, this whole submission bit. Don't get it mixed with men being the source, okay? That's not what this passage is talking about. He's not saying that source, that men are the source of everything for women. No, 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 no. The source for men and women is God. It's not men are the source for women. That's not what he's saying here. But what he's saying is submission is in deference or respect to the ultimate leadership of the husband for the health and the harmonious working of the marriage relationship. Which begs the question still, why as a woman, I feel complete, I'm a woman of God, why should I submit to my husband? And why is he the head of the wife as the text says, why? Well, to answer that question correctly, we have to look at the text and what Paul instructs the man to do, how he instructs him to live. He says, wives need to submit and respect or respect the husband, and the husband is to love his wife. Now, this is where the problem occurs. This is where the real problem occurs because there's too many husbands that are not loving their wives correctly or women, period. We're going to go there. 
The text says, I hear you, Miss Barbara. The text says in verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Key words there, gave himself up for her. You want to know wives won't, why they won't submit, why they won't respect their husbands? It's because there's too many men who are focused on themselves and their well-being instead of their wives. It says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He wasn't focused on himself. No, no, no. He gives up all he has and he dies for her. And hear me again, there's too many men that, that get married or at least get married and they do it for the wrong reasons. They do it for their, their well-being or what they want and they treat women, women like a possession instead of a gift from God that is to be cherished. And I know you're saying, well, okay, Pastor D, I get all of that, but I'm single. I'm a single man, I'm a single woman, so that whole loving your wife like Christ loved the church, giving yourself up, I, I'm single. I'm a single woman, so submit, please. I'm independent. I don't need to do that. I know God. He knows me. Well, hear me. This scripture is not just for married people. This is for single people too. And, and beside that, you can't just get married and then start living like a married person. There's no light switch that goes off. It doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't happen like that. Now, please, I don't need you to, I don't want y'all to hear me get me wrong when I'm saying this. I'm not talking about go start living with your significant other, start having sex. No, that's, that's, that's sin outside the proper context of biblical marriage. But what I am saying is, for example, walk with me now through the Bible a bit. When God creates Adam, he creates him first in his image. Follow me. Creates him first in his image. Then God gives him dominion, not dominate, but dominion over everything, which means to create and cultivate, make things flourish, make them grow. They should become better because you are here. And then he puts him in the garden and he says, work, gives him a job to do. He says, go work in the garden. Now, hear me, this is before Eve is even around. Eve's not even a picture. She's not created yet. Adam knows his identity as an image bearer of God. And he's given a vision to have dominion, create and cultivate, make things flourish. And then Adam's got a job. And again, this is before Eve is even created. He's single. He's single. Should I say that? He's single. No woman in the picture. So for my Christian women in here that are looking to get married and looking for a man, look, look, look here. There's criteria right here in the first two books of the Bible. God gets it right, right off the back. He tells you what to look for in a man. Number one, he needs to love Jesus with all his heart. He needs to know his identity, rock solid in Jesus. Number two, he gives him a vision. He needs to have a vision for his life of dominion, meaning that create cultivate should be one of the characteristics of his life. So when you see him, his job, everybody around him should be flourishing. They want to hang around him because he has dominion. He's creating and cultivating. He's not dominating, but people know him as a man of God and he, he makes things happen. He makes things change. So he has a vision for his life. And lastly, the brothers got to have a job. Now, I didn't say millions, I said a job. Because the truth of the matter is we got some very successful professional women up in here, and you might make more money than your husband might ever make, and that's okay, but the brothers still gotta have a job. No couch slobs allowed, okay? 
Don't do that. If you bring me, sisters, hear me. If you come to me in counseling and you say, Pastor D, I got this dude, because y'all like to persuade and try to move things and, and try to work it out. I got this guy, I, I think he really loves me, and, and, uh, and you want marriage counseling from me, and you're saying all these different things about him, and, and then, but he doesn't know Jesus. He's not honoring God with his life, and then he doesn't have a vision for his life. He's not, there's no dominion, and there, there's no people flourishing around him. And then lastly, he doesn't have a job. I'm going to look at you because I love you, and I'm going to tell you straight to your face, look, I love you, but he ain't it. It's because I love you, but that, that, that's not it. You see, now if you haven't been tracking with me here, God told Adam, he puts him there, he says, give up yourself, make the things around you flourish, have dominion. This is before Eve is even in the picture. Adam's not thinking about a woman. Oh, he's like, God, what, what other animals you want me to name? What other fields do you want me to till? In other words, y'all, he's already living like he should as a single man before he's married. Y'all still not following me. Because then, then, then Eve comes in the picture with her fine self. He, he, she walks in the picture and his eyes pop out like a cartoon character. He's like, oh, the flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She walks in the picture. He knows that, that, that she's for him. Thus, the, the guy is ready to receive the blessing of God that God has prepared for him. Now, I know you might be saying, well, okay, okay, Pastor D, I get it. The, the man is ready. He, he, he knows what he's supposed to do. But men in here are like, well, ain't the girl, she's supposed to be ready too, right? What's she supposed to do? Okay, well, look, let's not complicate this. Look back at the Scripture because that's there too. Look at the Scripture. It's not complicated. Follow me. All we know is that when Adam met Eve, God had just got done making her. In other words, she looked just like God made her, solely wrapped in his image. Y'all missing this. See, see, she didn't have makeup on. She didn't, she, she didn't have clothes for that matter. All she had was God's handprints all over her life. Y'all gonna miss this. But, but I need you to hear this, my men and women here, I need you to hear this because Adam was so wrapped up in the things of God that when God presented him with the gift of God, Eve, he knew she was for him because all he knew was God. Y'all missed it, y'all missed it. See. See, some of us are out here chasing the wrong people. We're latching on to the wrong ones because we're not occupied solely with God. How he made us, so what he called us to be, what he called us to do, all Adam knew was God. He wasn't looking for a woman. It's just him and God, and all Eve knew was God. And when you're occupied solely with the things of God, you start noticing sisters and brothers who are walking for the Lord, who resemble Christ in their walk, and you won't go around hooking up with just any and everybody because all you want is God. Y'all done got me off. I'm real passionate right now. So back to what I was really saying is that this passage is for both marrieds and singles. It's, it's because he's called us to live a certain way as men and women who honor God with our lives before we're married. 
And hear me, sidebar for my men in here, and I got to speak to my men, because you do have a higher calling when it comes to this text. It's a, it's a higher calling, because if we don't love, and I'm a man too, if we don't love and lead our women right, then women surely won't respect you or follow or submit. At least they shouldn't. Hear me, because if, actually, if we actually, if men actually read these scriptures and we were wrapped solely in the word of God, we knew that we were created in his image, that he gave us dominion, create and cultivate, and then lastly, we had jobs. If we're doing what he called us to do, if we're wrapped in this word, you know what would happen if we really believed this, that we were not the head of our lives, but Christ is actually the head of our lives? If we actually believed that, you know what? There wouldn't be a such thing as a feminist movement. Let's talk about it. There wouldn't be a such thing as a suffrage movement for women. There wouldn't be any quality of pay at the, in the workforce. There wouldn't be a problem with the word submit. There wouldn't be a problem with the passages or passages that say that men are to be elders in the church. Women would, be, women would love and respect their husbands and even church leaders for that matter because they knew that the men in their lives at any given moment would willingly give their lives for their sakes. Because it's about them, that we're, we're loving and leading you well. See, but y'all still didn't get that. Yeah, I, I, I know. I know the men in here, you're like, man, well, what, what about us though? What about us though? I mean... Why is this all on us? Why do we have to die to ourselves? One, hear me. I'm being hard on my men here. But at the same time, this is a struggle. This is a real struggle. I mean, and Christ even struggled with this. Christ sitting in the garden. He's struggling and he says, God, won't you let this cup pass from me? He's talking about the sins of the world, taking on the sins of the world, the church. He's talking about, I don't, th th this is going to be hard for me. He's struggling with that. The fleshly part of him is like, I, I, I'm struggling with this. I've never tasted sin. I don't really want to do this. And here's the bit. If, if Christ is struggling with what he's about to do, then, then we most definitely as men will struggle with the call to lay down our lives on a day-to-day -day basis for our wives every now and again. That, that's going to be a struggle. But what we have to do is remember what, what does happen. See, Christ, Christ, even though he struggles with that, he doesn't just not do it. He still submits to the Father's will and he goes ahead and dies for us. Thus saying that men, even though this is hard for us, that it's a struggle to die to our flesh and love our wives and lead them the way that they need to be loved, that we, we need to still honor God with our lives, no matter how much we think she's wrong, is it, and go ahead and lay it down for her, for her good. And see, here's the truth about it, because we focus on that one so much that we're like, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. That's not for me. It's, and we're all individualistic. Look, if you look at the text, it says in verse 26, look, this is where we miss it. Verse 26 and 27, it says, washing her with the water of the word and presenting the church to himself without blemish, wrinkle, spot, anything, basically perfect. Now watch this. Now, now here's what we miss. And I've already said it, but when a man loves his woman the way Christ loved the church, as this passage says, she is presented back to him without spot or wrinkle. All right? Thus, thus saying, when you lead and you love your wife well, she respects, her respect shall follow, and therefore you do benefit too. I like to tell this to my men in counseling, and, and I'm not going to sit up here and just 
say it like I have everything all together. I mess up. If my wife was sitting in the front row, she'd be amen and louder than all of y'all. I, I, I mess up. I don't get it all right all the time. I, I, I'm still messed up too. But what I do, do when I, when I try to love my wife, I, I try to love her as well as I can. And, and when I do that, I, I want to I lead and love her well, and I want to see her bloom like a beautiful flower. I, I, I want her to feel like she can touch the sky or, or walk on water because I'm leading and loving and serving her well. See, all that I do is with my wife in mind. That, that honestly, that there's, no, there's no selfish game for me. See, at the end of the day, she is my number one disciple. What that means is that my marriage is my number one ministry in my life. Not my kids or this church. I love y'all and I love my kids, but she's number one in my life. She's my number one ministry. Because here's the thing, if I don't love and lead my wife, love her the way that she's supposed to, as God calls me to, then my kids, as they're watching that, they will grow up and they will recreate the cycle and make it worse. If I, if I don't love my wife, I'm going to come to your neighborhood, if I don't love my wife well and allow the church to see my marriage, then you know what happens? This church will be full of divorcees, adulterers, and fornicators. And, and most of all, if I don't love my wife well, then I'm not honoring what God has called me to do as a husband. I'm not honoring him with my life. And now my marriage covenant, the one that I, I stood in front of most people at the altar and, and took these vows with her, now that those vows are null and void and they're not pointing people to Christ, but instead they're pointing people away from him. And family, when I do love my wife, when I serve her well, she doesn't have a problem respecting and submitting to me because she knows and believes I'm for her. And y'all, I know you see my wife usually sitting here, but we just had a little man, so she's in the back. Usually sitting here quiet, but don't let the quietness fool you. My wife is strong, very strong, mother of five kids very intelligent. She, she's, did I mention beautiful? Fine as ever. She, she loves the Lord with all her heart, even before I did. And guess what? She can make it on her own if she needed to without me. But she chooses to respect and follow me, not only because I love and serve her well, but she wants to adhere and follow the word of God for herself, which says, follow, love, respect your husband. Paul moves on and it says in verse 28 through 30, that a man should love his wife like he loves his own body. I love this part. A little tidbit here for my, my ladies in here. <clears throat> Women, don't just go out with a man because he says he's a Christian. Don't do it. Don't do it. If, if that man looks like, looks horrible and doesn't do his hair, doesn't get haircuts, I mean, can't dress, just really out of shape, don't do it, because I need you to hear me. If he doesn't love himself enough to take care of himself, he's surely not going to take care of you. It's just simple. And my men in here, listen up, listen up. We got to stop walking around saying, I want the Christian with the Coke, bo Coke bottle body, you know, 30, all of these, you know, measurements, five, five, thick thighs, and, and you walking around looking like Shrek. 
gut and rags on. Come on now. Got to take care of yourself. The scripture says, for a man should love his wife as he loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but watch this, he cherishes it and nourishes it as Christ does the church. Friends, hear me, a man should love his wife and his, as his flesh, and she should flourish because of that. Paul moves on in the passage and he says that a man loves his, his mother, he leaves his mother and his father and, and holds fast or cleaves to his wife because they're one flesh, one flesh. Thus what Paul is, is saying right here is that the union between a man and a wife is to be so unified to where when you see them, you really can't tell the difference. Now this isn't like identical twins or anything like that. But because if they're away from one another, it's like they're, they're incomplete. You know, people see me and they're like, Where, where's Kaylee? They don't even ask how I'm doing. Where's Kaylee? Because we're one. We need to be together. Where's my wife? Maybe y'all didn't get that. It's kind of like old couples you see that have been married for 50 years or so. And I, I, I see those couples and I want to sit down and get to know them. But, but, and they love Jesus with all their life. But when one of them dies... Usually shortly after, the other one goes too. Because they're incomplete now. Maybe y'all didn't get that either. Y'all ever seen the movie Notebook? Yo, I love the movie Notebook. No shame in my game. I, I like the movie. Movie Notebook is, is a good movie. And at the end of the movie, y'all get all mushy and stuff on the inside because he, he dies and his wife dies and they're holding each other and I'm looking at it like, hey, that's the way I want to go out. Hold my wife, her holding me. Because without my wife, I'm incomplete. She completes me. And what I mean by complete, hear me, don't get me wrong, is that I'm more well-rounded because of her. I'm able to do more. I'm able to take on the world because she's with me. And the same goes vice versa for her. Now hear me, I don't want y'all to take this wrong because it, I, some of y'all may be saying, well, I'm single, I'm not married, uh, does that mean I'm not complete? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm fully complete in Jesus Christ as a believer. I'm not incomplete without her in that sense, but because of her, I'm, I'm able to do more. So since that, that makes me more complete, it makes, she's a compliment, she adds to me, and I'm able to do more, she's able to do more because of me. She is my gift from God. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, we are one. Verse 32, Paul says the word mystery. And by mystery, Paul means the hidden plan of God that has come to fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Thus, his quotation about marriage from Genesis 2 about them being one flesh, it ties into the relationship between Christ and the church, the people. I said this in the beginning, but this is why marriage is so important. It's why it's so important and not some audacious experiment that we say, okay, I'm ready, and we just jump into flippantly. It's not that type. That's not what marriage is. Paul's meaning here is profound. Don't miss this. He interprets the, the, the original creation of a husband and wife union here as itself modeled on Christ's forthcoming union with the church as his body. Therefore, hear me, don't miss it. Marriage from the beginning of creation 
was created by God to be a reflection of or pattern after Christ's re relation to the church. Now, I love how the ESV commentary puts it. It says these words, it says that Paul's commands here regarding the husband's roles and the wife's roles in marriage do not merely reflect the culture of his day because some of us say, well, that's just back then. No, no. It doesn't merely reflect the culture of his day, but here may present God's ideal for marriages at all times. All times exemplified by the relationship between the bride of Christ, the church, the people, and the son of God, Jesus himself. Family here, let's do this because I feel like you might be missing this. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to walk out of here missing this. So close your eyes with me. Put those imagination caps on your head. I don't want you to miss this. Close your eyes with me. I want you to picture yourself at a wedding. We've all been to one before. You know how everyone is, everybody stands. The wife's sitting at the door in the back and she... She starts walking down the aisle, dressed in all white. Everybody stands and watches her and gazes on her beauty as she walks down the aisle. And the husband-to-be is standing at the front, looking at her, gazing on her beauty. Big smile on his face, probably tears rolling down, whether it's mixed with, with nerves or happiness. But one thing we know is that he's pleased with his bride. Well, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that Christ saved us when he died for us on the cross and now he stands at the right hand of the Father watching us who believe making that long sanctifying trek down the aisle called life. And while we're walking, that dress or those clothes that you have on, once dirty and dingy, are starting to turn to white and, and pure as snow because he's continually cleansing you from the inside out through the work of the Holy Spirit. And one day, we will make it to that altar and be united with him if we believe and we'll live forever and ever with him in glory. Open your eyes, hear me. One day, Christ is coming back. He's coming back to take those who believe with him to heaven. That is truly the marriage union that believers await. But until then, our marriage union here on earth as believers is to resemble the one that is to come with Christ. Hear me, family. Marriage is a beautiful, a sacred, and a holy thing. And it is most certainly God's idea. Amen? Let's pray.